0: You have your Bibles. We're carrying on from last week. That's Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 22. We'll just pick up a, a wee bit into the verse, and once you get there, if I could ask you to stand for one more time, just to for the reading of God's Word together. Acts 13:22 and 23, and we'll read it audibly together if we could. Knowing the Heart of the Father, Part Two. Acts chapter 13. Once everyone is standing for the reading of God's word this morning, we'll read it all together audibly, if we could, from He raised up unto them. Acts 13 and 22. He raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed has God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel as Savior Jesus. Father, this morning we pray as it has been prayed that you would help us, Lord, to hear and that your word would find ground this morning that is good, that brings forth much fruit. Lord, we pray that you would illuminate our understanding by the power of your Spirit, that you would anoint us both to preach and to hear your word. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would come by the power of your spirit today and change lives by the power of your living word. Lord, we pray, give us hearts that are able to receive, minds that are open to receive the precious seed. And Lord, that you would move in our lives, mixing that word with faith, that you would bring forth much fruit in every life this morning. Lord, reveal your heart to us by the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Let's take your seats together. You know, we are seeking to know the heart of the Lord, the heart of the Father in the days in which we are, are living in. We we really want to experience and hear what God is saying, particularly in the time and the season and the age and the generation and the nation and the city. We want to hear what God is uh, saying onto his church, onto his people at this particular time. And I, I suppose many might ask, you know, well, I want to hear, but is there a responsibility uh, for me, in order that I can hear what God is saying, and there is a responsibility upon the believer to re- to be able to receive that revelation from the Lord. And you know, the mind, the heart <clears throat> is so important. You know, before we come to preach or to deliver the word of God, that it's so important that the that the heart is in the right place. It's so important that the mind, the mind is clear in order that it can receive what God wants to say. So it's important before we come even to bring forth the word of God, there has to be the right condition in order for the individual or the corporate body to be able to receive that word, that word to find a place in our hearts, that word to be mixed with faith. We have a responsibility when the word of God is preached to mix that word and apply that word to our hearts in order that there would be fruit that would come in our lives to the glory of the Father. And so to understand what I'm saying this morning, in order to receive the Word of God, you see, it's important because as the Word is preached, that is, God's word being proclaimed, that is the gospel, that is the part of God the salvation. It is the part of God in the lives this morning. But the heart and the mind and the condition of that mind and heart is crucial in order for that word to have an effect. The Bible covers this very clearly, but just to simply say, how then can I receive the word of God? Whoever I am this morning, wherever I am, as far as whether I am saved or not saved, even as those that are saved this morning. How is it that it's possible for me to really hear from the Lord this morning, to receive that good seed in the good ground? How is that possible? And let me tell you what it's all about, friend, this morning. It's all about your mind. It's all about your mind. Mind matters. Because what your mind is filled with this morning is going to give you either the ability to receive or not to receive. If your mind is so full this morning with everything else, it's going to be very difficult for when the word of God is preached, when the living word goes forth, for you to be able to receive that word. And it's so important then as we come to hear what God is saying, that every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God is cast down. It's so important that the mind is right because we're living in an age, we've been sharing and even talking this morning, that everything is trying to, to captivate our minds Everything, there's so many voices, there's so many things that are coming in in order to fill our minds. And then what happens is that when we come to the Word, even in our personal time, or we come corporately to gather around God's Word together, when our minds are so filled with other things, we don't receive the Word. And even though the Word is preached, and even though the truth is preached, we leave the same way that we came. And there's some this morning I would say that even if I said to you what was preached last week, you would have no idea. But you might be able to tell me who won the match. You might be able to tell me what the new regulation is. But you forgot what God is saying. Why? Because our minds are being filled with so much information that we need to clear the mind. How does that happen? Well, in Philippians 2 and verse 5, we'll find out exactly how we receive the Word of God this morning. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind be in you. So we want that mind this morning. The Bible's instructing us to have this mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 and 5. And then verse 6 says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, But he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death. I believe Stephen prayed it this morning, even to the death of the cross. What is the mind of Christ? The reason and and how we receive the word of God is that there's a humility of a heart that there's a mind that's cleared from the clutter, that there's a humility in the heart to receive the Word of God. The Bible says that God will resist the pride, but He gives grace to the humble. In other words, this morning, if you've already made your mind up, You've already set your heart. You've already got your mind filled with everything else. It won't matter who preaches here. And it won't matter what's preached here. You will not receive it because your heart is filled with pride. You've already decided you're filled with yourself. And self is an enemy of God. Self is our enemy. And so this morning to receive the word what we do is we bring everything down into the obedience of God's Word. We humble our hearts before Him. We say, God, it's not I, but it is Christ. Not God, but you speak into my life? Then what happens by the power of His Word finds a heart that is humble and a mind that is clear. And the power of that Word enters into that heart. And the power of God sets people free. And so we need to have that heart that humbles and say, God, I need you to speak. We've been looking at Esther last week. Esther, Haman, Mordecai, and the king. <clears throat> and just in the context of that, or the introduction, just to remind ourselves, <clears throat> we know that the people of God have been carried away in the, into Bab- Babylon. They are now in, a, in another world far from their home. And God, God's people have come under judgment and so Israel were carried away into captivity. And in this particular story, we read of a young girl called Esther the King. The King of Babylon desired to have a new queen. And so he was searching and sent his people out to bring forth the virgins that were there in the land. And Esther, this Jewish girl, was brought forward into the palace and made and prepared in order that she be brought before the king. She became the queen at that time. At the same time, we remember, we looked at him briefly. There was a man called Haman. Haman was being promoted. He was against God's people. He's a type of the devil. He's a type of the Antichrist. But he was being promoted to one of the most senior positions in the kingdom. And he hated the Jews. And so he wanted to destroy them, and he he wanted people to bow to him and worship him, so much of the type of the Antichrist. But there was a man, the man that we looked at last week, his name was Mordecai. And Mordecai just would not bow. Mordecai understood, he had a perception, he had a revelation of what was happening at that time in the kingdom. And Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. And and then, <clears throat> or sorry, Mordecai, understanding everything that was done, he rent his clothes. You remember, he rent his clothes, he put on sackcloth, he went down into the midst of the city, and he began to cry with a bitter voice, he began to intercede. I've been encouraging us to pray for that intercession to come upon the church. We're encouraged on Wednesday night. You can sense there's a stirring for God to take us deeper in prayer. We need to keep praying for that and pressing into that, that there will be an intercession in in the body of Christ. Mordecai understood he had a perception because he was a man with a humble heart. He could hear from God. God could bring the revelation to him. I want to hear what God wants to say. So that means I have to go down in order that God can speak and he can increase. He was moved in the spirit because intercession is spiritually moved and charged by the Holy Ghost. And here we find these people, this Jewish girl, in the midst of all of this, that God's hand was upon her life. That God's hand was leading her, guiding her. That the, that the hand of the Lord was upon her to bring her to the position that she was in. Here's a virgin girl from a different country. Moved into Babylon under this system that was there. And she finds herself, think about it. She finds herself the queen. God's hand was upon her life. There is a word, a theological word that is used for God's hand providing and guiding your your life and my life and it's the providence of God. And it's a wonderful term and it's a wonderful revelation that the hand of God is upon you. That God's providential hand is on your life that he is leading, that he's guiding, that he is directing and sometimes you don't see it or as David has sung often, the unseen hand. But what you do know is that when you walk through that valley and when you come through that storm and when you come through that fire and when you begin to look back in your life, you see a hand on your life. And friend, this morning I want you to hear this, whether you're saved or you're not saved this morning, but you are here this morning because there's a hand that's drawn you to the Saviour. You may not even want to come here this morning but what I trust in is the providential hand of an almighty God. Even when I wasn't saved I can look back now and see there was a hand on my life somehow or another. I can't put it into a theological box and neither would I. Men want you to but it is the providential hand of an almighty God that leads us through this, this wilderness and is going to lead us home. So when you look back and you see it, how many people can see his hand? Think about it this morning. When you look back on your life, stop for a moment. Look back on your life, how he has led us how he has guided us. How he has kept us from danger seen and unseen. How he's brought us through the fire. He's brought us through the valley. How he's brought us into contact with people. How he's brought us to bound the Hedge. How he's blessed us. How he's given you a wife. How he's given you a husband. How he's given you children. How God has blessed you. That's the providential hand of God on your life. You may be sitting here this morning. Your heart is filled with pride. You don't want to hear what God's saying. You're sitting on your seat. But you're here by the providential hand of Almighty God. And you may not even know it. And God's hand is upon you. Here's a young virgin girl. An orphan. Carried away in captivity. And if you think about it, it's amazing. Carried away in, in, in captivity, you hear them singing as they're going. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a strange land? Their hearts were broken. They took their harps down and they wept by the rivers of Babylon when they remembered Zion. There was a cry amongst the people of God. What have we lost? We used to have so much, but we have lost everything. God has judged us. We are chastised of the Lord. We don't fit into this world. We don't fit into this system. And in the midst of that, there's a virgin girl called Esther who's going to be queen. The hand of God was upon her. Sometimes we don't know it. Sometimes we don't see it. But when you get along the path a bit and you look back and you go, Lord, that's amazing how you did that. That's amazing how you coordinated that. I can't understand it, Lord. Look at the wife that you've given me. Look at the son you've blessed me with. Look at the house that I'm living with. Look, look at the clothes on my back. Lord, look what you've done for us as a people in hedge. Lord, we be met in that market house, Lord. We had nothing and we're nobody's. We're still nothing and nobody's, but he's blessed us beyond measure. He's led his people. He gave them a building when they had none. He opened the doors of this place when we had nothing, when nobody wanted us here, when everybody wanted us to leave. God said, I'll lead you. And he hasn't finished. No, he hasn't finished. And we sometimes fail to see the good hand of the Lord. We're looking at all the other things and all the stuff that's going on. we forget We're being led by the providential hand of God. He's the God that controls the universe. Jeremiah says in thirty-one thirty-five, "Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day and the ordinance of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar." The Lord of hosts is His name. This whole universe is only taking place and operating and functioning because there's a God. They don't think that, but we know that. The Bible tells us in Psalm 22 that He's sovereign over the nations of the world. The kingdom, the kingdom is the Lord's and He is the governor among the nations. He's the governor this morning. He's governing this whole world this morning. Men don't know where to turn. Governments don't know what to do. The whole thing's in a mess. When you've seen that during the week when men stormed that Capitol Hill, friends, I want to tell you what I said to Nikki, That's the same spirit that used to be in me when I marched the streets of this nation. It's an Antichrist spirit. We've seen it all. We've done it before. We've marched. We've fought. We've done everything for a flag. But friends, we're off another kingdom. This doesn't belong to us. When you become more nationalistic and attached to a flag, friends, I want to tell you, a strange spirit will enter into you. Listen to me. It enters in. But we don't belong here. But he's over the nations. And lastly, friends, on the providential hand of God, listen to this. is how simple it is. You see if his eyes are on the sparrow, then I know that he cares for me this morning. The God that rules the universe, that's governor over all the nations, and if he's on the wee sparrow, Richard, then he cares for you. It's awesome. The providential hand of God. Well, I'm trusting, as that song says, in the unseen hand. It leads me through this weary land and someday I'll reach the strand still guided by. An unseen hand. He's going to lead us home. Providence. See, Esther, listen to me this morning. Esther was a chosen vessel. She was a chosen vessel. I want you to hear this this morning. She was a chosen vessel. This is really important. And if you're going to ask me to explain it all, I'm not. Because I just believe it all. In Ephesians chapter 1, if you turn to it please, and verse 4 to 6, Ephesians 1 and verse 4 to 6, Esther was a chosen vessel. I'm going to tell you something even more wonderful this morning. So are you. Ephesians 1 and verse 4, Ephesians 1 and 4, says these words, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. I need to stop. And I need to let you, if you have the ability, to clear your mind and humble your heart and let this sink in to us all this morning. According as he has chosen us in Christ before, listen, before the foundation of the world. Think about it. I don't know what that does to you, but it's doing something to me. Think about it. No, just stop and think in the midst of all of this. Think about it. Just think about what we're saying. It's a sila moment. It's a moment to stop. It's a moment to consider. It's a moment to be lost in the wonder of the mercy and the grace of God that you're chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Think about it. Your life is not just haphazard. It's not just all over the place. There's a hand of God upon your life. I know we fail. I know we mess up. I know we don't meet the mark. But that's why Jesus came. Now we should be holy. What's our response? That we should be holy without blame before Him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. It's awesome. I mean, the old man used to preach it and say, this is the point you take your shoes off because we are on holy ground to grasp the magnitude of these couple of verses, if there was no other verses revealed to us in Scripture but these two friends this morning, if that penetrated our heart, Have we got a revelation of this this morning, that we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's an awesome thing. Chosen vessels. 2 Timothy 2 and 4 says these words. Second Timothy 2 and 4, No man that warreth, we're going to fight this battle on our knees. No man that warreth, look what it says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. I don't believe that a minister of the gospel should be involved in politics. I really don't, friends. I really don't believe that. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. We've got a mixture that's coming in across the world of mixing this world and mixing so much of fighting this in the physical sense and entangling ourselves with the affairs of this life. I tell you, we sung out to thank God I'm free from this world of sin. That he may please him who hath chosen him what to be. To be a soldier. I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. You see, we want to fight this fight, friends, listen to me this morning. We can't be entangled in the affairs of this world. And I tell you, they want to entangle you. In 1 Peter 2 and 9, you know the verse well, it says these words. 1 Peter 2 and 9, But ye are... A chosen generation. You know, that applies right now, today. This time, this season, we're brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. You are, I am, collectively, we're a chosen generation. You've been chosen. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a peculiar people. Would you say amen? Amen. We really are, and we should be. Not for the sake of it, but we really are peculiar. We're different. What for? What's the purpose? That we would show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness, and into his marvelous light. You're chosen. You're chosen in Christ. There's a purpose for you. That means there's purpose. When you come to understand that you're chosen in Christ. And I believe that we have a responsibility. I believe that we respond to the gospel. I believe we have the freedom to choose. And I know that we're chosen. So that might confuse some. But listen, I'm not God. I just believe it all. That you're chosen, but you have to make a choice. God has a plan for your life. God is constantly bringing people in and onto the sound of the gospel. What for? He wants to save them. And he wants to reveal his purpose and plan for their life. And they must in their heart respond to that like we have. And when we respond to that, we're born of the Spirit of God and we come into the kingdom and we're a chosen people. Esther was chosen. Esther was chosen. I... I he chose her. Maybe many other people wouldn't. Maybe many others would say, I wouldn't choose him. If I was going to get something done, I wouldn't choose McElrath. I'd choose, I would choose Nas. But God chooses men and he chooses women for his own good pleasure. He calls men and women. He distributes gifts to men. That's what God does. You may not have given it, but God gives it. And he's God. And we're chosen. She's chosen. The danger of what happened with Esther that has happened to so many is that she was chosen, but she lost sight of her purpose. Why am I chosen? Why am I chosen? What's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Why am I in this place? What, why? What is happening? What is the purpose? She was there, but I tell you what happened, what I believe happened to Esther. That's happened to so many. She has chosen, but the surroundings of where she ended up became a distraction to her purpose. So many distractions. Distractions can so easily come. There was a purpose for that life. She was chosen in Christ from before the... Can you think of that this morning? From before the foundation of the earth, you were chosen in Christ. Think about that. Friends, this morning, there's something that does that to me, that I want to run around this building. I'm chosen in I run around the roads for the cause for 1690, but I'll run for Jesus any day. Chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the earth. You're chosen, Davy Woods. Now what's my purpose, Emma? Why am I here, Naomi? Why am I in this building? What's my purpose? Esther lost sight of the purpose. Hi, She was put in a palace. Oh boy. She's getting the nails done. Getting the hair done. Getting beautified. Getting everything done. Listen. I know somebody said once, if the barn needs painted, painted. I tell you, you need a lot of paint up here. But she started to lose sight of purpose because of all the things that were around her. She was promoted. She was elevated. She was put in a place of great wealth and riches and comfort. Do you know what that does? We begin to lose purpose. Material things are one of the great robbers of the church in the West. We're trusting in our material possessions. We're trusting in the things of this world. And we lose. Why am I in this world? To show forth the praises of Him that called you out of darkness and brought you into His marvelous light. You have a purpose. I've never experienced great riches. I've never experienced great wealth. But one time, just one time, I flew with Stephen Nixon, first class. From Zimbabwe to Belfast. I tell you what, we thought we'd landed. That's why it's been economy ever since, Stephen. Row fifty-three, every time, where you at? We're at the back. Because something of that can do something to you. It really can I can remember when we were standing there and the guy says, You two gentlemen come up here and he filled it and I looked at the ticket and we were looking at row eight? I've never been in row eight in my life. I said, I think we're landed here. <laughs> and boy, we got on those seats and everyone walking past us, it's been economy all the way. <laughs> it can do something to you. Riches, wealth, money. It can make you feel something that you're not. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We're nothing and we're nobodies. And see if God blesses us with wealth, Thank God for it, but he knows, and you know, that he puts it in your pocket and makes you a steward of that, that you would glorify his name with it. The material things, the idolatry of the present age in which we're living has caused many to lose their purpose, especially in the West. They don't know why they're here. They're surrounded by wealth and comforts and palaces and all the pleasures of this life and no longer know, why am I here? What is my purpose? We're increased, as the church said in Revelation 3, we are rich, we are increased with goods, we don't need nothing. But Jesus says, you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor and blind and you're naked. Is that not a type of the church in a collective sense today? They'd lost sight of why they were called, why they were chosen, and what their purpose was in God. Esther had come to trust, like many today, but was blind to the need, blind to the cause, blind to what God was saying, blind to the cry of Mordecai, blind to the intercession, blind to the heart of God, blind to what God was saying. In Esther chapter 4, if you turn to it, there's, a, there's an awakening moment. What I'm praying for is that for some this morning, there's actually an awakening moment. There's You know when we say that the light turned on, something was seen. Here's an awakening moment in the life of Esther. Esther 4 and verse 5. Then called Esther for haytak, one of the king's chamberlains whom he had appointed to attend upon her and gave him commandment to Mordecai, here's what she asked, Esther 4 and 5, to know what it was and why it was she wanted to know what and why. What and why. What is it that's happening? And why is it happening? That's an awakening moment in the church when the church, like Esther, I believe she's a type of it here, understands and wants to know what is the purpose of all of this? Why is it happening? What is it for? Why is there a cry of the intercessor? Why is there a disturbance? Why is Mordecai not buying? Why is he in sackcloth and ashes? Why is he crying bitterly? Why will he not buy? Why is there a remnant that says, no God, we need you to come. We're sorry for the sins that we committed. We're sorry, Lord. Why is there that cry? What does that cry serve? And Esther's sitting and now she's wanting to know. There's going to come a moment, I believe this friend. I personally have, and many in this room do, a great passion for the church of Jesus Christ. I believe in it. I believe in its gathering. I believe in its function. I believe it's the grind the pillar of truth. I believe it's the light of the world. I believe it's the salt. I believe this is a spiritual house this morning. Not the building, but a spiritual house. People are making funny comments, but you don't need to go to church. This is a spiritual house. That's what the Bible says. When we gather together, we become the house of God. And now she's wanting to know what and why. Perhaps you've been reserved, or perhaps you're not seeing it, or perhaps you don't understand, and perhaps you've been caught like Esther in the wealth and the comfort of this world, but then something starts to enter into the heart. What? What? And it's happening everywhere. People are asking, what is this? And why has it come? They're beginning to ask. That was a light being turned on. And so... The word comes from Mordecai in answer and response in verse 8. He charged her. See, Esther, I'm charging you. Do you know there's a charge on your life? There's a charge to the church that she should go into the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. Do you know there's a charge to the church in this day? There's a charge to us, friend. We have a responsibility for this generation. And we need to go to the king. We need to get before the throne of grace. We need to rise from the comforts and the things of this world. And we need to exercise our privilege that we have access to the throne of grace. In verse 11 it says, Her response, of course, All the king's servants, the people of the king's provinces do know now whatsoever whether a man or a woman shall come to the king to the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come unto the king these 30 days. I want to tell you and talk about something for a moment that I believe is completely lost in this modern age, modern church age. See, Esther was now starting to weigh up the cost. There's a cost in this. There's a cost. Listen, friend, there's a cost. The preaching of being of of a cost as a disciple of Jesus Christ has almost gone from the preaching of the modern age. Almost gone. You go back about 50 or 60 years, it was central to the church of Jesus Christ. Are we saved? Are we saved and it cost us nothing? but it cost him everything absolutely. There was a cost. Jesus said in Luke, if you follow these verses with me please this morning, well known, but I want to preach them this morning because a lot of people today don't think that there is a cost in following Jesus. But I'm here to tell you this morning there is. In Luke 14 and 26, Jesus said, if any man... Come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and even his own life. Now listen, this is what Jesus said. He cannot be my disciple. Can I read that again? Because they're very sobering words. If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, children, Brethren and sisters, yea, and even his own life. Jesus said, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus said that. What is he saying? Of course he's not telling us to hate our wives. What he's saying is, if there's anything in this world that takes the place of me, you can't be my follower. Anything. Anything that takes the place, your wife, your husband, your children, if it takes the place of me, you are not my disciple. That's what Jesus said. Those are strong words, aren't they? He says, For whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it. I want you to listen very carefully. I am not preaching works salvation. Ephesians 2 and 8 tells us, for by grace are ye saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. I think Jeff prayed it this morning. It is a gift of God. It's not of works. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. But there is such a thing as discipleship, as being a disciple. There is such a thing that after you're saved, that after you give your life to Jesus, that there is a cost. And more importantly, that there is a cross. Jesus said very clearly, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And what does he say? Take up his cross. And follow me. We live in an age where we have a crossless Christianity. Listen to me. It's a crossless Christianity. We live in an age where it costs us nothing. What we say is, listen, Jesus died for you. That's right. Jesus wants you to be saved. That's true. Now come, give your life to Jesus and then you're saved. Now all of that's true. But I want to tell you something, what we have done. We have basically told people that you can simply add Jesus to your life. Do you know what that is a form of? And we learned this very quickly when we went to India years ago. Hinduism has millions of gods. If I walk in, and Nikki and I many times, did walk into a village... And we begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who wants to receive Jesus as your Savior and your God? They love God and they'd say, we'll take Jesus as God. But when you say that He is the way, the truth and the life and there's no other God that can save you, only Jesus, not Muhammad, not Mary, not anything else in this world, but Jesus alone. It is a straight gate and a narrow way that leads to heaven. The response isn't so great. And what we have in the Christian faith today is a form, you'll not believe this, but I do, a form of Hinduism. Add Jesus to your life and you can have the God of materialism. You can Your car can be your God. Your bank account can be your God. Your house can be your God. Your girlfriend or your husband can be your God. You can have many gods, but I've got Jesus on a Sunday. The Bible says few there be that find it. We have made the narrow road broad and the broad road narrow. Nobody's going to hell, but everyone's going to heaven. It's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. Just come to Jesus, Adam, to your life. No, Jesus said, if you want to be my follower... Then you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. It might cost you something. People may not like you friends. You might have to stand alone. But dare to be a Daniel and stand alone. If anyone wants to be a follower of me. He's got to deny himself. Take up his cross. And follow me. Jesus said in Luke 14 and 35. Likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he has. He cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. Now you discern this this morning if you're able to. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its savor. Wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is fit. It is neither fit for the land nor fit for the dunghill. And men cast it out. And Jesus said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. When the church loses its effectiveness, and I don't say this in a judgmental way, but in a, in a way that grieves, I believe, the heart of God, but honestly would drive us to our knees to pray, the church has lost its effectiveness. We're supposed to be effective. Against the powers of darkness, against the Antichrist kingdom. But you know what's happening? We're getting used to the dark. As Habner said, we're getting used to, we're blending in with the rest. But let the light of God shine in the darkness. Whosoever of you that forsaketh not all that he has, he can't be my disciple. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 11, Blessed are ye, when men shall revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Great is your reward in heaven. We have lost something of this. There's a reward. There's a prize. This isn't it. We're going to make it someday to that golden strand and we're going to see Jesus. He said in verse twelve, "Rejoice, be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth, and if the salt has lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, to be cast out, to be trodden under foot of men." I want to tell you, friends, there's no greater thing. Let me say something just in the wisdom of all of this. God may not ask every person in this room to sell their house and sell everything. And, and he, but he might ask one. Are you hearing me this morning? He may not say to you to sell your house because it may not be your God. It may not be everything to you. But listen, may, maybe God might say to someone, maybe he might say to someone, I want you to sell your house. I want you to follow me. You know, I love those interactions on the shore of Galilee when Jesus came and said to men, follow me, and then it says they dropped everything and they followed him. That's the gospel. That's what a disciple is. They got a revelation of him, you know, years ago, I think it was about 2002, God put it in our hearts for us. I'm not saying this for everyone, it's just he deals with us in different ways, so I want you to know I'm being wise with what I'm saying, but he spoke to us. into our hearts that we would sell our house, the last house that we owned, that we would sell our house, that we would clear, that we would just set out to follow him. And it's miraculously the testimony of that I'm not going to go into, but miraculously we were able to sell our house and we lived there for a few more months in rent and then we moved out to Kerry Duff. Let me tell you something, I've never lost anything. Listen to, I have never lost in that. Never once have we sat down and said, I wish we had a best Hill Never once have we wasn't oh, it was a lovely house. But friends, never once have I felt that I've lost. Actually, I've gained so much the more. Never once have I looked back and said, oh, what have I done? But friends, God has blessed. God has increased. God has given. When we'd have nothing, God has proved himself faithful time and time again. I've lost nothing. But you sold your house. I don't care. It's all for the fire. But he told me to do it. He may not tell you to do it, but he told me to do it, and we walked in that obedience. Little did I know that three years later we'd be here in Ballinlange. You see, the devil whispers in our ears, doesn't he? You're going to lose. Oh boy, you've just made a colossal mistake. Doesn't he speak to us? Doesn't he whisper? Doesn't he? Say, what have you done? Look what you give up. Look at the lovely house that you had. The boys would have been so happy there. Look what you've sacrificed. Look where you're living now. You have one toilet. You have six kids. You can't get in. When they're walking in with suitcases, you know it's going to be a long day. Have we lost anything? We've lost nothing. But you know what he does? He comes and he starts to whisper and he says, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do when all the wee chicks fly the nest? Or the big chicks fly the nest. What are you going to do when it's just you and Nick? What are you going to do when you're too old? What are you going to do? You've no pension. Nobody's going to look after you. You're going to be on your own. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn to God's Word and this is what I'm going to know. I have been young and I am old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. Peter said, Lord, and maybe someone's saying this this morning, We have left all. And we have followed you. And here's what the Lord said. Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house, parents, brethren, wife, or children for the kingdom of God's sake. Listen to verse 30. Who shall not receive manifold more in the present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. I tell you, friends, we've got more now. And I tell you what it's going to be when we get there, it's going to be even exceedingly more than what we could ever think or ask. God is no man's debtor. Esther was caught in a, in a bit of a hard place. It's going to cost me. Mordecai, do you realize what you're saying? I had to go into the king. It's going to cost me something. Going to cost you something to be a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. Listen to me. It's going to be, co- listen, it's going to cost you something. It might cost you everything in the material sense, but you'll never lose with Jesus. Because everything that we're clinging to or think it's going to last isn't, it's not going to last. Do I believe? That we should continue on faithful and work and honest and live and provide for our families? Absolutely, 100%. Do I believe that we thank God and for the houses that we have and the homes and the blessings? Absolutely, thanks God. But I tell you something, friends, when any of those things ever become your God or your idol, you're in trouble. We begin to lose our effectiveness as a Christian. We begin to lose the simplicity of our faith, the excitement when God says, sell all and follow me. We were excited. We didn't have 200 pounds to put it through the auction. And the next morning, 200 pounds, 220 something pounds comes through the door. The tithe and everything was in it in a wee brown envelope. We don't know where it came from. It's exciting to walk in the will of God. It's exciting to leave all and follow Jesus. It's exciting to abandon the shores and the shallow waters and to launch out into the deep. It's exciting to say, I'm going to stand for Jesus in school. I'm going to stand for Jesus in the streets. It's exciting to be a disciple of the Lord. So Esther begins to sum it up. And some may be summing it up this morning. Some might be questioning. Knowing that God has his hand in your life, you haven't fully recognized the purpose. But something's beginning to dawn in your spirit. Something's beginning, a light's beginning to light. But Esther says, it might cost me. Do you realize what you're saying, Mordecai? I can't just go into the king. It could cost my life. Verse 13 of Esther 4 is what Mordecai commanded. Esther, he said these words Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape. In the king's house, more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom? A famous line for such. A time as this. Listen friends. We're closing in a few minutes. Listen very carefully. God has a plan for your life. You're chosen. But there's a purpose. And There's some of you this morning. You're saved and some of you aren't. But you're halting between two opinions. You're not all out for God. You're sort of in the halfway line. And there's a challenge coming to you this morning. And God's speaking to your heart this morning. And God's saying, listen, you can't keep standing in the middle of the road. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. You can't halt between two opinions. And you're saying, but it might cost me something. Can I tell you something? It's going to cost you everything. But to deny Christ and to stay in that world, I'm going to tell your friends, it's going to cost you even greater. When you see Christ for who he is, there actually isn't even a cost. There actually isn't even a price. It's a privilege to say, God, you can have it all. But Esther said some important things, and I want to leave you with this, verse 16. She said this: "Go gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast for me, fast for me. Listen, fast for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maids will fast likewise, and so will I go to the king, which is not according to the law. But here she is. She's dead, and she's abandoned." See, if I perish, I perish. That's a life that's dead. Not someone that's died to self. Not someone that's going to say, I'm all right for Jesus. Yes, I am. But you said, fast for me. Can I tell you, friends, what I believe that the Lord is leading us in? Here's the first thing that I believe God wants us to do. He wants us to fast our minds. He wants us... Are you hearing this this morning? You may not be able to hear, but I pray that we have the heart to hear it. He wants us to fast our mind. What do you mean by that? He wants us to declutter what is in our minds. Our minds are filled with the things of this world. You can't get a conversation about Jesus with a believer today hardly. He wants us to fast away... Turn it off. Switch off Facebook. Switch off the TV. Turn off the radio. Turn off. Dump the paper. Turn it all off and feed on the Word of God and seek God for 30 days and we're in revival. you got to fast this because it wants in there. The spirit of this age is pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing to have your mind. But friends, fast your mind from the things of this world and flood them with the word of God. Seek God. We're talking this morning, Nikki and I, just about how do we stop the fade of this coming in? How do we push back on the feed of it all? This common con We're living, what do they call that? Uh, oh, I forget what they call it. There's something they call it. This 24-hour cycle of news things. Like it's happening, you get it. What's happening in the North Pole, you'll get it on your news feed. There's a Google thing, they updated me and now they're sending me a thing, like a rolling thing. I don't know how to turn it off, but it rolls through something about Harry and whoever she's called. I don't care. Sorry, that's just me, but I don't. What Harry's doing, pray God saves him, but I don't really want to know where, I don't know what he's on, but I don't want to know. Fast your mind. Get out of it all. Try to de-entangle, is that the right word? But try and get out of this stuff. Because we want to run a race. You know what verse that we've got to run? We've got to lay aside the things that so easily beset us and the sense So there's stuff. But I tell you, friends, the things that are besetting us today, it's unbelievable. They're just wanting our minds. And there's this WhatsApp thing coming up. Sorry, I'm just on a bit of a roll at the minute if you don't mind. But this WhatsApp thing coming up, you know, this new agreement or something that you've got to do this here, that or whatever. And I go, what is all that? They're going to be tracking, people are they're going to be tracking, you're going to be this, they're going to be that, they're going to be watching, you're going to be listening to you, uh, your woman in the house there in the black machine, she's going to be, you're going to say, Alexa, and she's listening to you, following everything, and they're listening to every voice, you are listening to your phone call, they're listening, listen, let me tell you something, you can know it all, I don't care, because there's a record in heaven that's been white clean, I'm saved! And I'm washed in the blood. and I have nothing to hide. I'm a believer in Jesus. Take me if you want. And they're all getting this. here. It's constant. Friends, thank God I'm free. Thank God I'm free. I don't want to be in this. And it gets us, doesn't it? These smartphones, I think they're a curse from hell. I've got one. Here it is. I it feel like bringing it down the room. I won't in case I hit someone. But listen, to this so morning, I'm fed up with it all in the right sense. I'm saying, my God, it's crippled the church. You hear what's happening 200 miles away in three seconds. I don't want to know what's happening 200 miles away. I have a life to live in 104 Lisburn Road. Trying to get you, trying to get you trailed in, trying to get your thoughts, trying to get your opinion. But they're watching what you're doing. They're watching what music you're, they may do, so what? Friends, we're free from this world. Never a day we thought it would come. Have you got a saint? There's an old film, we watched a Christian movie about a guy. And there's some some type of times thing. It wasn't mysticism or anything dodgy, don't worry. It was a wee Christian thing about a guy from a couple of generations ago when they brought this old saint up into the modern day. And he couldn't believe what Christians were doing. Couldn't believe what we'd allowed to come in. Why? How does that happen? Does it not just happen a wee tiny bit at a time? The things that we would never have tolerated even 20 years ago, we tolerate today. Even five years ago, the things that we'd have a conviction about. What's happened to us? What's happened to the fervency in prayer? What's happened to the fire in our bones? What's happened to us? The things that just start to creep in slowly. It doesn't happen with a knockout blow. The devil just does it bit by bit. And then our minds are overtaken by the stuff and the things of the world. And then we lose our effectiveness, the saltiness, the fire, and the fervency, and the joy, and the rejoicing. What's happened to us, church? Church? before you get out the door, someone's already got it posted on some platform somewhere, changes the word, changes what you said, undermines what the preacher's saying, and away we go again, another week of it. Let me tell you, friends, somehow or another, we've got to be broken and free from this stuff. You've got to fast. Fast the mind and we've got to fast You want to know what's wrong? We're so filled with the world, we can't hear what God's saying anymore. We can't hear His voice. We have spiritual cataracts we can't see. Our ears are deafened, hardened, so we don't hear the voice. The odd time the faint voice comes through, but we're so filled with the world. I apologize for going on a bit of a rant there. I really do. But I tell you, I do get annoyed about it. I get more annoyed with myself. I get more annoyed that so often you find yourself, you're wanting to run forward and you're being trailed into so much of the stuff. Oh, friends, this morning, will be fast, our minds. Can you turn it off? Honestly, but ask yourself, can you turn it off? But I'll have a wee... (laughs) But see that we one? What that ends up? It ends up about three hours later. Christians are dumb, deaf, dead. And then they say, What's happened? Then they blame probably somebody in the church, or somebody says, or oh, they blame the pastor, he said something, or they blame someone, and nobody wants to say, God, it's me. I haven't been walking, I haven't been feeding. I have been looking, and my eyes have been in the wrong things, my ears have been listening to the wrong stuff. Friends, this is basic stuff. This is stuff that the old-timers would have told us at the start of your walk. What you feed, what you watch, what you do, just watch it. Live for Jesus, watch your company, who you're with. All right, I mean, I messed this up, big time. But they told you, you didn't listen to them, but then you learned the hard way, but then you did learn. You know the wonderful thing about it, at the end of it, they were standing there saying, now come on, son, up you get and keep going with Jesus. I know they'll call you dogmatic. They'll call you whatever, that you're out there. But I want to tell you something. We really don't have a lot of time. They're really worried about what people think. Thank God that Esther said, I'm going to fast, but I'm going to go in. And if I perish, I'm going to perish. You see, Esther, listen to me as I close, and I am closing. The Bible tells us that the king loved Esther above all the women. And she found favor in his sight. You know, we have a great king this morning. Can I tell you, everybody in this room, listen to me. We have a great king this morning, and he loves you. He loves you so much that he gave a son to die for you. That if you believe in him, you'll not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. He didn't send a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Esther was loved, you're loved. Christ so loved the church that he gave himself for it. He loves you, friend, but he's got a purpose for your life. It's purpose. Why are you chosen? Why? And for what reason? There's a purpose. I believe, friends, we need to fast a lot of stuff out of our lives. The Holy Ghost will tell you what you need to do. But just take a moment to think about it. You know, the old timers said years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago probably it was, when cable came in, it was cable years and years and years ago, and they said that was like the snake coming into the garden. Boy, we've come a long way since that. We've come a long way. But I do believe with God's wisdom we can drive back. We can drive back, we can stand, and we can say, God, today I want to clean up my house by the grace of God. I want to fast my mind. I'm going to get into this word. I'm going to get on my knees and pray. I want to tell you something, friends. You'll get a personal revival. And many people need a personal revival. Revive us again, Lord. We've got to get this junk out. Honestly, we've got to get it. I know people are consumed with it, but we shouldn't be. We're the children of God. We have an answer. Let's pray together this morning.